You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Mark Becton on Sunday, January 9th, 2022 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. I do hope you'll open your Bibles to Genesis 32 so that you can follow along as we walk through this together. I have the joy of meeting monthly uh, with church planters, uh, over a dozen of them. Some are local, most of them are spread throughout the United States. Uh, If they're local, we have a chance to meet individually. If they are elsewhere, we FaceTime. And it was with one of those FaceTimes I was talking with a church planter that was struggling. He was having challenges with fellow brothers and sisters in his church. On top of that, the very location where they had met for quite a while, the landowner was making changes and being difficult. So he was really overwhelmed. I had been there before, and a verse that was dear to me is Genesis 32:28. so I simply quoted it to him, where you and I have just read, then the angel said to Jacob, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Talking with church planters and pastors, I see this a lot in their life, but to be candid, it's not just with pastors and planters. It's with every one of us who follow Christ. We have those seasons and those moments in life where we are striving, or as the verse also will say in other translation, wrestling with God, where you are wondering, Father, what are you doing? Why have you allowed this? Or I have prayed, and yet I'm not seeing any activity. Or the activity that you have allowed, I don't understand why. And there has been an extended season for this, and I'm growing weary and don't know if I can hold out. And part of the frustration and the wrestling is not just with the Father, but with the very circumstance that has led you to this moment. It's a frustration and agony with family, relationships that are so dear to you, and yet they are, at least it feels and you fear they are unraveling. Or maybe it's where you work, all this change over the last two years, and you feel as if every month you go back in, you wonder, do I have a job? Or you step back in, the relationships are so tense, you wonder, do I really want this job? There's so much that goes on, and because you are wrestling with God and with man. You're weary with it and wonder, is this really the way it's supposed to be? What I want to share with you today from the passage is something that is hard to hear and yet comforting to hear. The Father purposes it. And even when you come through it with a limp, it's actually a gift. And I thought this was a perfect passage for today because it's January 9th. 
And, and some of you, as we look at the bridge from 2021 to 2022, you're crossing that bridge and you feel like I'm already limping into the new year because of experiences or concerns or, or heaviness or frustrations. You're already limping in. For those of you who are not, as followers of Christ, this is a preparation message for the seasons you will have in 2022 that will leave you with some limps. That the Father will purpose and actually, though you don't feel it in the moment, that limp will be a blessing. And all of this has been preserved and true in Genesis 32 through the life of Jacob. So that's where we're going to spend our time today. And to understand it, you have to understand what brought Jacob to this moment of wrestling with God and with man and, and to experience even a blessing from that. What brought him there was conflict within himself that caused him to simply want to be alone. I'm done. So let's look at this again by going to Genesis chapter 32. Look at verses 22 through 24. The same night he, Jacob, arose and took two of his wives, his two female servants, and eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. When you look at the biography of Jacob in Scripture, you will find there are two times in his life where he is alone and God meets with him. One is here in Genesis 32. It's at the Jabbok River. But the other took place in chapter 28. And though it's just four chapters, 20 years separate those two experiences. And the first time he is alone and God meets with him is at Bethel. So what I want us to do is look both at Bethel and at Jabbok, at those two experiences, because there are things in them that are similar and yet items that are different. The uh, First, let's go to Bethel. At Bethel, he is there because he has lived up to his name. Now, when Jacob was born, he was a twin. His brother came out first, Esau. When Jacob came from the womb, he was holding on to Esau's heel, so they called him Jacob, which means heel grabber. And I do not know whether the, the interpretation for Jacob, meaning deceiver, was actually sometime before Jacob, was also a second understanding of the name, or actually that name was attributed to Jacob because of Jacob's life himself. But another name was Deceiver. And in essence, he lived up to both names. Wanting what Jacob had, birthright, blessing. He deceived Esau. Esau, infuriated by this, vows to kill him. So Jacob is now running to Uncle Laban for sanctuary. And it's in this journey to Uncle Laban that he stops and sleeps for the night in the open air, rock for a pillow, and he dreams. And that's where he sees the ladder touching from heaven to earth and the angels ascending and descending. And from that dream, 
he wakes with the same promise and picture of God that was given to his grandfather Abraham and to his dad Isaac. God tells him through this dream, I am going to give to you that very land where you sleep. Furthermore, you will be head of a nation that numbers like the dust of the earth. And can you imagine what he awakes with, with that in his mind, that God has spoken to him and told him this? He's going to have all this land. He's going to be the head of a great people. And so he has this promise, but he's attached his picture to it. And now we're 20 years later. He's at the Javik River. And here's what's similar. He's at the Jabbok because there's family angry with him again because he has been deceptive. He has been deceiving Uncle Laban and profiting from it. Now, to be candid, Uncle Laban's not perfect in this relationship either. But he has deceived him. Laban is angry and behind him. Furthermore, it's been 20 years, he still remembers the vow of Esau, and he has heard that Esau has 400 men and is waiting for him, and he doesn't know the intent of Esau. All he knows is what he said last. I'm going to kill you. Now, there are some things that are different, though. It's 20 years. And, and now, at this moment, he has brought with him two wives, 11 children, his servants, and he has amassed some wealth through the deception. But because of him being consumed by the pressures of what has been behind, the unknown of what is ahead, he does something extremely uncommon. He tells them at night, everybody, you just cross over the river. Why is that uncommon? You don't cross a river at night because you can't see it's unsafe. doesn't even care that he might lose things precious to him. He just wants them away. And he sends them across and he stays alone. And I have a feeling he does so because so overwhelmed by all that is wrestling within him. All the demands upon him. He doesn't want to see. He doesn't want to hear. He doesn't even want to smell any more responsibilities, expectations, or demands on his life. Just wants to be alone. And I get that. Fifteen years ago, I uh, went for my annual and... The doctor said, I need to send you to a plastic surgeon. I think there's cancer on your nose. So I went to the plastic surgeon, and he said yes, but it's in a location and a depth that will require surgery. So he began to draw on a piece of paper what he was going to do to my nose. And I said, Doc, I hope you are a better surgeon than you are an artist. Because what you've drawn is a recliner. I really hope you're not going to create a recliner on my nose. But to be, again, transparent, I even didn't care. <laughs> my my sister-in-law heard about it through, through Lori, and she said, well, tell Mark it's okay. If he has a recliner on his nose, he could always do clown ministry. But again, I didn't care. 
Where I was in life and in ministry, it was a, a large church, and uh, with the demands of ministry from a large gathering that also had a television ministry throughout central Virginia. The expectations were not just from my own members, but from folks who were viewers and had expectations of me. My denomination had expectations of me. And really, I wanted the surgery. Not what it was going to do to me, but what it was going to give me. I just wanted the anesthesia. Honestly, I wanted a good reason to be knocked out and alone from all of these demands. Now, that was my story. And right now, I have a feeling you're going through your own montage of those moments in your life where all the demands on you are so overwhelming and you're still so confused by what the Father is doing and why. And also the frustrations that seem unresolved with experiences and people. That there are times you say, I just want to be alone. Now what is tragic is there are times you want to be alone running from God. But there are other times you want to be alone and you want to run to God. Regardless of the why, the longing to be alone is because of one internal conflict. At least it was for me. And I, it was for Jacob and maybe for you. And here's what it is. The conflict that drives you to that longing to be alone is because the promises of God that you know to be true and the pictures that you have attached to what those promises are, are not aligning. You know what the Father has said in His Word is true about Him, it's true about you, it's true about life. But what you have experienced or are experiencing doesn't seem to be aligning with those promises. Your picture and the promises aren't matching, and therefore there is a conflict within, and you long just to be alone. Again, here's the encouragement. You are not in bad company. When you look throughout Scripture, you will find others that God used in such beautiful ways also experiencing the same, and they are alone and in conflict. Let me just give you a short list. you got Samson who is blind, bald, and alone. You've got Elijah who's alone in a cave on Horeb. David's alone in the cave of Adullam. Jeremiah's alone in the mire. Job's alone in his misery. Jonah's alone in the belly of the fish. And God lovingly, purposefully meets with them all. And he even purposed that experience, not just that they might see God's glory, but that today we might know God's glory because of it. So because this thing of promises and pictures not aligning is, is so important, I, I want to spend some time just on that. And we're going to come back to Jacob, but I, I want to use Moses as a great picture for this. In uh, Exodus chapter 3, God uh, meets with Moses, encounters him alone at a burning bush and tells him, I've seen the misery of my people. And I'm going to lead them out as an exodus from Egypt to the promised land. And I'm sending you, Moses, to do that. And when you look at the text, you'll find that God's only asking him to first lead them from Egypt to Sinai. 
But in Moses' mind, he's responsible for the whole thing into the promised land. He's already overwhelmed that he can't do this, but he says, yes, Lord, because it is you. And so he steps into the people, steps into this, because the promise of God, what God has said, this is what I'm going to do, picturing, then surely because God is doing this, this is going to be easy, this is going to be quick, and actually because I'm taking points, I will be applauded. Yet by the time he gets them to Sinai, it has not been easy. And definitely it has not been quick. And he can tell you straight up how unapplauded he has been throughout all of this. But knowing in his mind, the father is also asking about the promised land, saying, this is why my desire for them. Moses sets up a tent of meeting with God in Exodus 33 to meet with God and simply to say this. It's a, it's a powerful statement in verse 14. I am not leading these people anymore. I'm done. I can't do this unless I know, unless you affirm you are with me, unless you go with me. You look at the text and Father's quick to say, I'm going with you. But then as though it's not enough. In verse 18 of chapter 33, then Moses says to God, but I just need this from you. Would you show me your glory? You've told me you're going with me, but this is though he is saying to God, would you show me your muscles? Give me an idea of how big you are, because right now I'm not feeling it. And here's the kindness of the father. And this is why I'm, I'm focusing on this at this moment. The father is going to give to us through Moses another promise and picture that should be our go-to when the other promises and pictures that we've attached to them aren't aligning. If there is a sweet reset of trust, when we're in conflict, it is this picture that he's about to give to Moses and through Moses to us. He tells Moses this. They're on Sinai, and he says, I'm going to put you in this cleft. It's an opening in the mountain. He said he put them in the cleft. Then I will cover the cleft with my hand, and then I'm going to pass by. As I've passed by, I will remove my hand just slightly so that my glory can be seen. And he actually says, from my back. And the Hebrew word literally means from my back side, which means not even my full back. Because you can't handle the fullness of my glory, but I will reveal to you as much as you can handle. And the Father does that reveals his glory and gives to Moses a glow when he comes down. Now, let's, let's unpack this. Here's, the, here's how this becomes the, the reset for us when we're in conflict. Do you understand the picture that the, the Father has just given is also the promise that he has made to us that when we are in Christ, like being in the cleft, in the rock, and when we are covered by Christ, his atonement, then we have the beautiful privilege to be in the presence of a holy God, uncrushed. And by being in his presence, how kind he is in the circumstances, experiences, and the prayer and the speaking through his word to get to see aspects of his glory. 
even those times when we are in conflict with him, to know that he has given that to us. But, but here's my nature, and so I'm going to assume it may be yours too. If I am in conflict, wrestling with God and with man over things, and my thoughts are, I just need to work harder to get out of conflict. I, I need to, to, to read more. I, I need to pray more. I need to be more active in godly things. And if I can just simply be more active in godly things, then surely all of this will work out. And that was humbling because even as a pastor, you think that. If we do X, Y, and Z and believe X, Y, and Z, then it should produce X, Y, and Z. My labors plus my faith should show the activities of God we've seen throughout Scripture. And if they see the activities of God, they will know me as a pastor being one who's been with God by what we see and do. But when you look at the history of Moses' life, God did amazing things with him. Yes, with the plagues they watched, walked out. Then he saw by lifting the rod, the Red Sea part and open, then closed back in on a world power's military force. He would raise his hands and their armies would always win. He would bow low and pray and spare God's people from wrath. He would pray and God would send the quail to feed them. Their clothes never wore out for 40 years. Go through his life and see all that God did. But there's only one time in his life where the people saw the glow of God on him. And it wasn't by anything he did. It's what God did with him. When Moses was simply alone with God. So let's get back to Jacob. Do you understand now the Father will purpose those times in our life that create such conflict within us, with him and with others, in order to give us the greatest gift of being alone with him? But one of the challenges of that is we don't like it because many times in the aloneness, there's wrestling going on. Now for years when I have quoted that verse to myself and to even to other brothers and sisters. I would go to that last part. You have wrestled with God and with man and have overcome. And it sounds like that you're initiating because you're wrestling with God. When you go back to the text, you'll find that God has purposed this conflict within Jacob and this conflict of circumstances with others so that he can actually wrestle with him. The initiating of the wrestling is by Christ. Go back to the text now. Look at this. Genesis chapter 32. Look at verses 24 through 28. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. A man wrestled with him. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And when he said to them, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And when he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You see that? 
Jacob didn't start the wrestling. The man did. Brothers and sisters, the man is Jesus. So let's talk about wrestling with Jesus. Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 through 6, recounts the life of Jacob, retells it. And when it talks about this experience, it says that he is wrestling with the angel. Not an angel, but the angel. And John Calvin's work on Hosea in this particular passage says that the angel is Christ, and this is why. Because the Hebrew word for the angel means one who has authority, not one who has been bestowed authority. You and I as ambassadors of Christ, you and I as heralds of Christ, do so with the authority given to us, bestowed upon us from Christ. This Hebrew word literally means one who has had the authority innately. It has been, is, will always be his authority. Therefore, the man is the angel, and the angel is the man who is Christ, who appears in the Old Testament. He was able to wrestle with Jacob and touched by Jacob, just like in the Gospels, he was able to be touched and to touch. And as they wrestle together, it is a sobering time as he begins to confront Jacob over Jacob's life. You and I know what that's like to wrestle with Christ and his promises. Specifically, here are a few. Jesus, you told me that my peace I give to you not as the world gives. Why am I not experiencing it? Uh, your word also says, if you lack wisdom in James 1.5, that you'll give me more than I need. But right now, I, I can't figure this one out. And, and furthermore, I have made some decisions, and I'm paying the consequences for them. Where was that then? You tell me in your word that you will be my shield, my high tower, and that, I will, that you will fight for me. Yet right now, I feel pretty vulnerable and beat up. And as Christ wrestles with us and enables us or allows us to really emote this honestly with him, I've seen this particularly in my own wrestling with him. He is kind to give me a new wrestling move. <laughs> and in that moment, turns my head and points my eyes to Gethsemane. And you know Gethsemane is the night Christ prayed before he's crucified. And that's where suddenly Christ is now praying as the one who was with the Godhead, the Trinity, who, who wrote the story of salvation before the foundation of the earth, who knew the cross was the pivotal moment, and yet is even asking, is there another cup? Is there another way? But then comes back to say, not my will, but thine be done. And in that moment, he is submitting to his own authority. And candidly, in these wrestlings with Christ over the circumstances of his purpose, there are many times he turns my head to Gethsemane and realized that if Christ would submit to his own authority and endure what he did so that I would see the glory of God, benefit from the glory of God, why wouldn't I also be willing to say, I submit? I don't like this. I don't want this. I wish it would stop. 
But if it means I get to see your glory more sweetly and deeply, and it might display it even more to others, Father, I submit. So he's wrestling with Christ, but he's also wrestling with himself. Back in verse 28, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. He's a man. He's striven with himself, but also with others who are just as fallen as he is. You look at his life. His mom and dad were that way. They loved their sons separately. And he grew up in a home where dad loved Esau and mom loved him. Then he had a brother who just lived according to his own appetites. That's the reason he knew he could deceive him, because that is the way that Esau lived. Uncle Laban was a deceiver, so he continued his own deceptions as Jacob. And then he had two wives. Those two wives were actually competitive and jealous. And he lived in a home life where that was constantly taking place. And all of that was influential that led him to Japheth, not just his own, but also the whole framework of his life. Do you understand your alone moments with the Father, your Japheth moments, your conflicted moments are also being influenced by living in a fallen world? Satan is the father of all lies. He's also the, the prince of the air, which basically means he's the, the ruler of this age. Still under the authority of God, however, by his lies and by his influence, we live in a world where we are actually the minority as followers of Christ. And what's happening within our lives is oftentimes influenced by a fallen world around us. And the Father even purposes that so that in the contrast of the fallenness, we get to see the sweetness of his nature who is so contrary to all that we see and have to rehearse it again and again to ourselves. How kind he is to do that. And when he wrestles with Jacob, he does one more thing. He changes his identity. What a gift. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Now, Jacob, we know what that was like. Deceiver, heel grabber. But what does Israel mean? And scholars struggle over that. They, they debate about it. Uh, some of the things are um, to struggle, or it means one who wrestles or one who strives. But there's another translation that I really do like. It means to let God rule. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan in the mid part of the 20th century was in Great Britain and this was his favorite translation. He simply said it means a God-mastered man. Do you see the contrast now and the beauty of this wrestling? To change Jacob's identity from deceiver and heel grabber, always trying to, to get what others have, to suddenly being rested in a good God a good master, and to submit to his rule and to honor him with whatever he purposes. There is a resting in that. What a gift that in the wrestling, the father changes his identity. 
Do you understand again that's the gift he has given us in this fallen world? Our identity's been changed. A new name has given to us. We follow Christ. We are the Christ Christians because of an adoption by a good God. And everything that he has given to Christ is given to us because he is good and not because we worked at it. Mm. There, there is so much more. Um, and I can go on, but I, I just want to kind of bring this to a close. Let's talk about the limp. Right? Uh, when you look at Jacob's life, and look at this wrestling. When it's all said and done, Christ gives him a limp that lasts his whole life. And in some ways that seems unkind, but not to those who knew Jacob's life and what this moment with God, which God had purposed, created. So let's conclude by looking at verses 28 through 32. Then he, Jacob, uh, then he, Christ, said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there Christ blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen the face, seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose on him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Now listen. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because... He, Christ, touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. To this day, that was 1400 B.C. That's not when the experience happened. That's when God inspired Genesis, uh, Moses to write Genesis. 1400 B.C. So when he says to this day... To this day, since that experience, that experience took place in 1900 B.C. For 500 years, God's people called Israel have not even eaten that portion of the thigh because they revered that Jacob had been with God and God had touched it. Which means whenever they saw the limp in Jacob during his lifetime, they knew this because he had been with Christ. Do you see now the blessing that that is? I, I just want to share it this way. Don't avoid or grieve the limps Jesus leaves you with when he wrestles with you. Yes, limps, there will be more than one. He purposes each one of them. He scripts what drives you to long for conflicted solitude. And there he wrestles with you to bless you, just as he did with Jacob. He conforms and renews your identity in him. You walk away differently. That's the limp. 
As a believer, your limp validates what you believe and say is true. Others will see it in your eyes, hear it in your tone, see it in your walk. They will know you've experienced it. And as we stand before family, co-workers, neighbors, fellow believers, I, I pray they benefit from the limps Jesus gives us. I pray when they see us limp, they will remember us for the following. In verse 28, Jacob's name is changed to Israel because he strived with God, not because he strived against God. I know that's a temptation, but you're striving with him as he is conforming you. You will be tempted to strive against God like others God used. You will be tempted to strike the rock twice out of anger like Moses or produce a golden calf just to keep peace like Aaron. You'll be tempted to avoid Nineveh because you're still bitter and weep for a silly gourd more than a people in need like Jonah. You'll be tempted to pray, God, where are you like David or just kill me like Moses and Elijah. But I hope you will eventually pray, though I'd rather drink from another cup. Though I wish you hadn't purposed this experience. Father, not my will, but thine be done. Like Jacob, you will go through episodes when you are conflicted and want to be alone. Jesus knows it and will meet you there. You may want pity from him or answers from him, but instead he forces you to wrestle with him. And that's when the honesty starts. You'll honesty, honestly ask him what he's doing and why. You'll ask, do, do you really think you're seeing this right? He'll, he'll point to your fallen blind spots, aspects in your nature. He's still working to conform He'll even show you how he's using the fallenness in others to surface those blind spots in you. And though it hurts when he points them out and wrestles with you to change them, eventually you see it as a blessing. And those who hear you will know it's true. He's changing the way you see him, the way you see yourself, the way you see this world. And the greatest blessing of all is he's leaving you with a limp. Hopefully people will know you walk like someone who has truly been with Jesus. Let's bow together. Oh, Father. I confess with my brothers and sisters present what you already know to be true. It's actually easier to proclaim this than to personalize it. You know my, uh, my struggles, and I praise you that your love persists. I thank you, Lord, that you don't grow weary in confronting and wrestling with me. I praise you, Lord, that... Uh, you do in time reveal some things of your nature uh, that I have not acknowledged 
or that through the accumulation of worry, I've forgotten. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit is so good at being our comforter, our counselor, our helper, our guide. Your Holy Spirit who brings to mind things that we've heard and read. I'm asking, Father, that in your kindness, that in this year, when we have more of those conflicting times of longing to be alone, and you wrestle with us, that you will bring this to mind, that we will rest in you, reset our eyes in you, that we are in you, Christ, covered by you, Christ. And we are having the opportunity to see aspects of your nature, your glory, because of what you've experienced and purposed. Bring it to mind. And Father, for these next moments, of submitting to your own authority to go through a hard, painful experience that you wrote before the foundation of the earth. I pray, Lord, that we will praise you for it with our being and rest in you that we are most fortunate to be adopted by you and be yours. Help us remember you well. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Mark Beckham at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, visit us online at redemptionhill.com.